Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. When I was a young lad, um, no, when I was was a young warthog, there are many ways for users to access the apps you've written or worked on. If it is something proprietary or secure, they'll have to go through some type of admission process to gain access. In this episode, we explain some of the concepts used in network access control or NAC. We'll first discuss the goals of a NAC system, then talk about admission to the network and some of the core concepts to consider when looking at a NAC system. Finally, we'll talk about how network access control changes in a mobile workplace. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, today I worked from home for the first time as part of like a regular thing. Been kind of slowly pushing towards this for a while. I'm way more effective at home, so it was it was a pretty easy sell, which you know was the goal. Um, so it was really nice. It was also really nice that you came over here because I probably would have gotten a 16 hour day. Like I just didn't run out of steam. Yeah. Um, so I've got to get better about managing that back to like I used to do when I was consulting. I remember when I first started doing the uh, work from home, I was like that. Yeah, because you're like I can crush all of it. Let me just. Yeah. And like, that's great for right now, but it is not a sustainable thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm being sort of careful about that. Um, other than that, man, I've been, I've been lifting. I've got this weird shoulder thing that's causing me grief right now. Like I can do deadlifts, like 300 pounds, no big deal, whatever. I get on the bench press and I try to press forward and I can feel the strength in my right shoulder, but I can't deploy it. Yeah. Like there's something mechanical wacky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a, uh, subluxation in that joint. So they had to like cram the, the, the arm bone back into the shoulder a little bit, um, which sounds a lot worse than it actually felt. So I'm, I'm hoping that fixes it. I haven't tested it out. I probably will. I might do it tonight actually while you're here. Yeah. I've, I've done that to people, so I know exactly what they did. Yeah. So how about you? Well, I took a couple of days off this past week and went to see Lindsay Sterling, um, the closest she's getting to Nashville on her current tour is Louisville. And so I drove up, uh, got a hotel room and went to the concert and then drove back the next day. It, w- it was actually really relaxing because I didn't take my work laptop with me and just literally took two days off work and just enjoyed myself. Yeah. Um, that's a good idea. You know, I did work a little bit on some podcast stuff this episode, but it was nice. Um, I made it sort of a mini vacation because I don't think. I'm going to get much of vacation time once school starts back. So it was, it was pretty nice. Um, it's the fourth time I've seen her and the best Lindsey Sterling concert I've ever been to. It was amazing. So that was really awesome. Um, honestly, most of my spare time lately has been spent getting ready to start back to school in a few weeks. I had to get blood drawn to prove that I have immunizations because that was so long ago that no one knows where the original documents are. Like I had to have them when I started med school, but I have moved three or four times since then, gotten married and divorced. My parents have moved twice. 
They've like, gotten divorced. Yeah, they've gotten divorced. Nobody knows where those documents are. So, <laughs> it's, you know, a lot's happened in, what, the last eight years? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, though, I, it's funny, writing this outline, I found several different sources that had the exact same material, like, down to the layout and wording. It was just copied verbatim. Like, we should do an episode on plagiarism in blogging, which is really funny because I did find a plagiarism um, checker online, and I ran some of our stuff through it because, you know, we get a lot of stuff from other sources. Like Wikipedia, we, especially. Yeah. Now, we, we reference those sources, but, uh, you know, apparently we change it up just enough to where it doesn't flag the uh, the plagiarism. But since we're talking about network access control, I have something to secure your IoT networks for IoTs. This is a product called Aruba ClearPass. IoT has become a cause of a lot of security concerns. And this product is for adding security to networks with IoT devices running on them. Um, it also works with uh, BYOD or bring your own device. And it allows for a seamless path no matter if it's on a wired or wireless connection. It also provides attack detection and responses based on policies set up by the network administrator. This really isn't something for the hobbyist, but more of a business solution for places, including small businesses, that are integrating IoT and bring your own device into their networks. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we got a comment on White Label Apps Part 2 from Dalsoft. It says, don't do it. It's the worst of both worlds. Better off developing multiple apps than take the extra complexity and reduction in quality you could probably build the apps in the time it took to do white labeling. I would agree with that. Uh, generally speaking, if it's a small business and you're building software for clients, like when you start white labeling stuff, you are creating a tremendous amount of work for yourself. That said, if you're trying to build a platform, which is what our company is trying to do uh, for the print mail industry, you're kind of stuck there. Like Your clients have their own developers. They do want to customize, and it's more than just like cosmetic stuff, like they want to change workflow and that kind of stuff. Um, these are large businesses. These are businesses that have their own well-developed processes and they want to blend your software to it. Um, it's definitely not for everyone and it's definitely uh, development on hard mode. So I would say, yes, I, I do agree with you in general. Um, for us, it was the correct decision to make versus having uh, completely different branches of our software for all of our clients. That would be pretty horrendous. Um, you know, we've got a couple hundred clients that, I, I don't know, I'd say half of them probably have little customizations in there that they've done. Uh, that would not be sustainable for us. That said, unless you are building a platform and unless you do take those things into consideration when you start, yes, I totally agree because it hurts. It's it like it does make a lot of stuff that should be really, really simple just isn't. Thanks for the comment. We really enjoy it when, you know, people bring up good points and, and discussion with us. Um, this, this is really great. These are the kind of comments that we want. So thank you so much. 
shoot us an email to neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all of our episodes to Google+, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We're also on Tumblr, Instagram, and Path. Also, check us out each week on Facebook and Twitter Live. We talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions. You can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Network Access Control attempts to combine in-station security with network security and authentication. A station is a device connected to a network. End means final destination Therefore, an end station is the device connected to the last node in a network transmission. NAC uses a set of protocols to enforce policies for secure access to a network. And we're going to start talking about the goals when implementing network access control, and then we'll get into the ways of admission into the network and access to areas within it. Next, we'll discuss how the NAC gets information about the end station And then finally, we'll talk about how mobile is changing network access control. So there's a few goals with network access control that we probably need to talk about first so that you understand why this is as critical as it is. Big deal here is that it mitigates non-zero day attacks, so stuff that's already known. NAC is used to authorize and authenticate network connections. So you're not getting connections from just any rando out there, like you know who it is. And it does this by using role-based control of users, devices, or applications, like whoever's trying to connect to it. And it may be that it is a particular device, like talking about IoT earlier, you know, it may be that it's an IoT device that has certain authentication and certain roles within the network that it is allowed to do and certain things it's not allowed to do. Right. And that's really helpful when you're trying to troubleshoot because you can go, hey, I know that it is... John's Raspberry Pi that's acting up, not, ah, you know, somebody's hitting us on port 135. We don't know where. Like, that's a real bad feeling when you have had that experience a few times. It also encrypts traffic through wired and wireless networks using those network protocols. NAC uses automation and other tools to define roles based on information about the end station. One of the major benefits of network access control is that it doesn't allow end stations without antivirus or with outdated patches. So you have a certain patch level and other requirements just to be able to communicate with a server. Mm -hmm. So you you get cut off if you're a risk. Yeah. Like when, when I was researching this, I was thinking about where I work. Um, Because people take laptops home. Yeah. The laptop gets breached or they don't patch it because, you know, windows kind of bungles the patching process. Sometimes let's say you push that off for six months and then you come in. Yeah. 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 The the thing is, what what the NAC does, what the network access control does, is it says, hey, you have an outdated patch. You have outdated software. So, in order for you to get on the network, you have to update. Right. So, in order for you to do your job, you have to update. Where I work, it's usually they send out an update and you're told, all right, you've got eight hours because sometimes... I've done updates and it took three or four hours for it to go through the full, I think the, was it the creator's patch? Yeah. 1703. Yeah. Oh man. That That's bad when you know the Microsoft patch. Number, isn't <laughs> <it>? <laughs> yeah. So when, when that came out, I was, I was still in the office that day and I thought, Oh, you know what? I'm going to a meeting. I'll just start it. 
And I come back from that meeting an hour later, it's still going. So I go eat, I come back. Oh, hey, it's still going. I go to the bar, <laughs> come back in the morning, it's still going. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'll go learn a foreign language, come back. Hey, it's at 94%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that what, was 1703, folks. Yeah. What the network access control does is it says, hey, you are not on the most up to date version of your your software your antivirus your patches so you have to get there um and like i said with where i work they allow you some time they're like all right you've got eight hours until we're going to force you to restart your computer yeah and this is really important um especially if you're in an environment that has got like pci controls Mm -hmm. uh, sarbanes-oxley you know all the all the uh, privacy-related stuff and all the stuff that's like, hey, you know, we've got sensitive data or something going wrong is a real problem. Like, I don't know, you have a nuclear reactor. You know, yeah. if, there's, if there's, you know, radioactive materials, that's probably a good time to have good patches. <laughs> um, but, you know, you got that kind of environment. That's what this stuff is for. You don't want somebody just connecting it. Right, yeah. The, the goal here is to reduce the risk of cross-contamination. So if one station or node or laptop or Raspberry Pi or mobile phone is contaminated, you don't want that getting onto the network and contaminating everyone else. Right. Now, when I was a young lad, um, no. When I was was a young warthog. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, when I was coming through the ranks, we had more of an eggshell type security system. So you had a firewall and people didn't bring their own devices. Because people didn't have mobile devices. Yeah. Right. So once you got in, you you were in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stopped working really well as we got better phones, we got tablets, we got all these other pieces moving. And they're going mm-hmm. in and out of the network. So now instead of going, okay, if it comes from outside, we don't trust it. But if it comes from inside, we do trust it. Now you had to kind of um, reshape your strategy to go, okay, everything has to be secured, every interconnection, because now there is no wall. And that, that's what this is coming out of. And it, it does this by providing a way to enforce policies. You know? Right. And so you want network administrators to be able to quickly set a policy to say, hey, you've got to have this patch level or you're not getting in. You're too short for this ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, this includes computers allowed on the network or the roles that users are allowed to have on the network. Right. So like you would say, okay, like for instance, your, your support staff, right? The support staff... Ah, they get bored because you got good software developers because everybody's got good software developers, right? And so the support staff don't have anything to do. They're like the Maytag repairman, like, <laughs> right? I've never seen that happen, but I'm told it happens <laughs> somewhere. So they're bored. They play video games, you know, f- little flash-based games online, right? You don't want them getting into the development VLAN, right? And getting into, you know, critical servers on the back end for, for that kind of stuff. Or you've got your sales folks that are going in and out. They're going to conferences. Hey, I got a new flash drive from this other company. Let's see what they did. Let me plug it into my work laptop. You know, hey, you're a DEF CON. No big deal. Let's <laughs> pick up a thumb drive I found on the floor of the casino. What's, what's the worst that could happen? Um, right? Like you have those yeah. kind of, those kind of things going on. And so the idea is that you, you say, okay, <laughs> if you're from this group, you're not accessing this other group's resources. At least to keep the contagion from spreading. So it's it's a quarantine procedure. Preemptive. Identity and access management are provided through this network control. So, you know, um, conventional IP networks allow access via the IP address. Right, which you can spoof um, with 
varying degrees of effort. Um, I've seen systems, by the way, in enterprise environments where people said, hey, I'm going to lock this down based on IP. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work entirely as well as you would think. They go, oh, if you're coming from this IP, you can access this um, this API endpoint, and we're going to check to make sure you're that IP, and then we'll let you do whatever. No auth, other than you're coming from this IP. Um, really? That's real bad. Yeah. Right? That's like saying, okay, I... I got an email from your email address, so I'm going to send you my bank account credentials. <laughs> Actually, it's a little dumber than that. <laughs> um, so, like, you know, you see these kind of security things. So, like, that's what we want to get away from. You're not who you say you are. You're who you prove you are. Right. Networks that are using access control authenticate users or the user in station. Right. So it's not just your credentials, but it's also your computer's credentials because mm -hmm. you can be the president of the United States. Yeah. I couldn't be, or you couldn't. I mean, we're old enough, but we, you know, like, let's, we're inflammatory enough that that's never going to happen. Maybe. I don't know uh, now well, anymore, you know, but, um, yeah. So, but let's say, <laughs> but let's say that you're the president, right? Yeah. Just because you're the president doesn't mean that you can give an executive order from Will Gantz laptop. Mm -hmm. It's who you are, where you are. Right. It's like where... Because it could be spoofed if you're doing it from my laptop. Like if it's got a virus. Yeah, you it's, it's like where I work. I can get on and I can check my email from my phone or my personal laptop, but I can't get on and commit code from my personal laptop. Right. Even though I've got all the, the right credentials to get in, I, I have to be on my work laptop to do that. Yeah. I, I don't know if I could or not. I need to look into that. <laughs> I have a feeling it would be real slow. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's not something you want happening because of the risk. Because think about it, like let's say that you know where you work, somebody just really, really wants to change something. You know, like it's the the kid from uh, South Park, that you know, Professor Chaos. I forget yeah. what uh, Butters, <laughs> right? Like Butters takes you hostage, and Butters goes, "Hey, I want to change this thing that doesn't matter to anybody else, but I'm going to make you do it." Right? It's not just who you are, but it's where you are. Right. Like that's, that's the idea of that control. Plus on a computer, you can impersonate the user because it's hard to tell. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of where that comes from. It's a weird concept to think about the fact that you're not who you say you are until you prove that yeah. versus the real world where you're like, okay, yeah, I'm, I have an ID. Mm -hmm. So from there, let's talk about admission to the network. And this is pre and post. Network access controls are designed to either enforce policies before or after accessing the network. And the idea here is to prevent clients with out-of-date antivirus and other security patches from connecting to a secure server. This and is done, again, through either pre- or post-admission checks. Right. And so there's some things that are really hard to do pre-check. Mm -hmm. Because if you've got to connect over the network to that machine and you haven't admitted that machine to the network... You know, you, you kind of have to pass the bill before you find out what's in it. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And like that, you, you, so you almost like you bring them into a sandbox and then you do the thing and you go, okay, now. Pre-admission design inspects the end stations before allowing them on the network. And this includes checking your login credentials. Um, it also makes sure that the end station complies with security standards. So this is like your, um, your network protocol layer. Mm -hmm. You know, you're using um, up-to-date encryption, for instance. Of course, that's real easy, right? Because if they can't decrypt your packets, like, they can't... You're speaking alien at that point, right. so it doesn't matter. Um, and that's the point of it. Now, 
Authentication allows networks to differentiate users and their roles within the network. So it's not just, you know, it's what your workstation can do. It's also mm -hmm. what you can do. And right. it's the intersection of those two sets that you actually get. And you can break this down in, in multiple ways. Like the application that I am currently working on at work, we have customers and employees uh, sometimes hitting the same endpoints. But there are certain things that an employee can do that a customer can't do. But even within the employees, that's further broken down into your regular user group and your management and your admins. Right. Because there, there are certain things like changing some of the data on the lookup tables and things like that, um, that the admins can do that just your average employee, they don't, they don't want them to have that access. Right. And then you'll, you'll probably also have, um, on top of that, you'll have app permissions to say you know, they can't edit this record because it's theirs. Like you don't want the admin going in and going, yeah, I don't know anything. Yeah. You know, these are not the <laughs> droids you're looking for. Like you don't want to make, Jedi out of your admins <laughs> as a rule. Um, so, so you have that kind of stuff uh, set up. So posture checking is a way of validating the endpoints by detecting if malware is present. So you're looking for stuff that indicates malware going on. So this, this could be stuff like excessive network traffic. Mm -hmm. um, this could be potentially looking for things like global keyboard hooks that are looking for, you know, password sniffers, those kind of things. There's a lot of different stuff you can do. And if you really, really want to get into this stuff, a good blog to follow is um, isc.sans.org. That's the uh, Network Storm Center, or the Internet Storm Center, I think is what they call it. They've got a lot of stuff that gets really low level into the security. Way more than than I want to know, but I check it pretty much every day because you can kind of find out about zero-day vulnerabilities and, and what the different malware is looking like and the behavioral characteristics that you see. And we do have an episode coming up where we're going to have a friend of ours who teaches um, securities come on and talk to us. And we're still working out the details of that. But it, it'll be some point in the future where we get him on here. Yeah, we just got to find the uh, the right time and the right scotch. Uh, gin. Gin. Ooh, he likes gin? I already have the gin. Okay. Post-admission allows access to the network. Then it enforces policy based on the user's actions once in the network. Right. And this would include stuff like the VLAN steering that we were talking about going, hey, you know, support goes over here. Yeah. And this is your little area. This is your group's sandbox. Yeah. So basically what it does is it allows networks to control what users are allowed to do once they're already in the network. So they've been authenticated. You go, yes, you, you are allowed here. And it's like what I was talking about with the way we have customers and employees and within the employees, it's broken down into you know, employees and administrators. And so it looks at, all right, who are you? Like, yes, you're allowed in. Now, who are you? Okay, you're allowed to do these things. Right. And some of those overlap. Yeah, and I think a lot of it, you know, like the way I would think about structuring this is that the pre stuff is largely the machine's permissions. Yeah. And the post would largely be the user's. Now, I know that's not perfect from how you architect the network, but the thing is, is like, you know, stuff about the machine when it connects mm -hmm. and then you authenticate the user. And now that you're in post. Yeah. Um, sort of. It's not perfect, right? Like that's not the perfect metaphor. The, the um, way I think about it is pre is authentication. Post is authorization. Right. So pre says, who yeah, are you? Yeah. Pre, if you think of it like this, pre is the security check at the airport 
and post is the showing your ticket to the the counter when you're walking onto the plane. And Windows Update 17.03 is uh, sitting in a narrow seat between two large people. <laughs> um, you're just obsessed with that one. <laughs> that one really. I know. I I, I suffered too. That's so, uh, yeah. you know somebody's got somebody's got karma that is going to make them come back as algae. So with a post admission, you can also have pre admission policies. The thing is, this doesn't work in reverse. So just because you have pre admission doesn't mean that you can have you can or will have post. Right. So next, we're going to kind of spend a little bit of time talking about how the network access control gets information on the end system. NAC allows access to a network through decisions based on that information about the device at the end station or the final node in the network or who's trying to access. These systems can be agent-based or agentless systems. In addition, they may be on a single device or distributed. Yeah, a lot of that really, you know, at this point, things start to depend on network topology mm -hmm. a lot more than they depend on necessarily access control. It's like, hey, what's in this network and where can we quickly deploy resources when they're coming in from here? And at this point, it it's looking at the way you design your network access control is based less on the policy and more on the network that you're on, the age of the network and what you're doing there. Yeah. So older NAC designs use scanning and network inventory techniques to get information about the end station. Right. And this goes back to um, the old times <laughs> uh, before the dark times um, when machines were uh, somewhat treated as if they were honest. So you scan and you go, okay, I'm going to scan. I'm going to see what ports are open, for instance, or which ones respond to you know, different commands. And that was okay until people started going, well, I'll just block this machine <laughs> that's the scanner and I'll do whatever I want, right? Like it was, it was gamified past that actually yeah. working. Um, but old systems that are still around sometimes still do this. Mm -hmm. So when an in-station joins a domain, a user logs into the domain and the NAC will verify the in-station and see that it complies with access policy by way of the domain controller. This is your um, your global, your, your domain control stuff. Mm -hmm. One such as Active Directory, where users log in or out when accessing the network. And within that, users can be assigned roles or placed into groups. Yeah. And the roles and groups are used to determine if the user has permissions to access that area of the network that application functionality, that thing. It's like a resultant set of policy that they can do. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the newer um, NAC designs require using agent software to report on the in-station device. So mm -hmm. this is where you have something running on the device that checks it and gets information from the device and then sends it back to the server. An agent's basically an app or service that performs those functions on behalf of right. the the device or the user. It's the code that authenticates in-stations and users, verifies the in-station devices have up-to-date protection software, and checks for any prohibited applications. Right. So what the idea here is, is instead of scanning from a central machine, you're pushing the processing load of this out mm -hmm. to all the individual devices. Now, there's security concerns there, right? Because you can't necessarily trust them. So they have to do a whole lot of stuff to make it where, okay, I know this is who 
it says it is and that it is uh, not been tampered with. But those are solvable problems versus the problem of I have to use an unbelievable amount of computing power to check this network of low end machines. Yeah, it's a it's a balance here. Yeah. While some agents exist on the end station, they don't have to be there. Right. Um, so an, an agent on an end station is persistent. And that means that it's always available and can run continuously. Um, in Windows, this is a service. On Linux, this would be a daemon, generally speaking. Now, dissolvable agents exist in a portal separate from the end station that the user downloads by way of a link and does not require installation on the end station. So I would assume this would be more of a Java applet type. Yes. Shenanigan, which I hate. <laughs> you know, like, you know, that, that's the thing. It's like I'm connecting to a network to do a thing. And when you get in the way of me doing the thing and make me deal with stuff that isn't related to that, I get cranky real fast. Hence, some difficulty getting into the Linux sometimes. Um, but, you know, whatever, that's that's the topology they want to use. And it, it can be useful, right? Like if you've got people coming in and out of your organization a lot. You know, you got agents out in the field. You have um, third parties that are coming in and doing stuff. Especially if you have a or contractors. A, yeah, contractors or a, and you're not providing them. When I was a contractor, I was using the same computer I'm using now as my work machine. Like yeah. they provided that, but some places don't provide. Right, and I've worked at, at those kind of places, and yeah, they like, want where to put, you bring your own device. Yeah, and they want to put stuff on your machine to enforce NAC, but then you go home and you play a video game, and the NAC software kicks on, which is loads of fun. Um, so, you know, that's why I don't overly like that concept. I understand why it's there. It's just, I feel like we haven't quite gotten all the rough edges off of that yet. Yeah, there's, there's a lot that can be done in this area. And, you know, hey, if you guys are interested, here's a great place to grow the field. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do it, but, you know. I'm, yeah. There's somebody crazy enough that they do. I'm, I'm interested in other difficult areas. This is not one of the ones that is super driving for me. Yeah. So a NAC, you know, is an out-of-band system if its agents are distributed across end stations. In other words, like it's not gonna it's not gonna block processes. Mm -hmm. It's gonna go, okay, I'm I'm gonna do stuff and check and see what you're doing while you're trying to do things. Yeah. It, you know, to to a large extent. The end station agents report information about themselves to a central console. And that console acts as a switch to enforce network policy. Right. So when it gets something it doesn't like, it shuts you down. Right. Out-of-band systems are able to reuse existing infrastructure that you may already have. This is a way to implement uh, a NAC in an existing network. Right. Because it's, it's hard to uh, kind of glue this stuff into something that's already built, like from the ground up. Like you really do need to be able to kind of cram pieces in and just go with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why it's it's the way it is. On the other hand, inline systems can be on a single device. So in this case, the device acts as an internal firewall for access layer networks. The device will enforce network policy by directly controlling individual packets. So you're looking at like deep packet inspection. You're looking at you know, stuff that's looking at the headers, that kind of stuff to go, okay, is this really doing what we think it's doing? And is it doing something it's allowed to do? Does this look like a signature of a virus or of a zero day attack? Or, you know, is it doing anything weird? Because like if it's a, again, if it's a support person's machine, but it's constantly going, you know, and messing with a marketing system, like why is it doing that? Right. And this could be anything from insider 
actions to a virus. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll catch a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, these systems are a lot easier to deploy on newer networks. They are horrendous on old networks. <laughs> like, yeah. Like when I was researching this, um, it was basically there's two options here. The if you already have an existing network, you go with the out of band system because that is the solution. And your boss isn't going to fire you for right. you know tearing down the entire corporate network for three weeks while you implement something new from the ground up that he can't see the benefits of. Whereas the other thing is like you can glue that in and you can get results. Yeah, like the other if you're you're building a new network, then you can build it that way from the get go. Right. And it has there's benefits and pitfalls to each. Right. And so you you know, this this comes down to the whole thing of thinking about the economics of what you're doing. Yeah. And how people react to it and when they react to it. Like you've got to be a little bit political to be able to actually do anything in IT. This is definitely one of those things. Like you will get burned so bad by doing the right thing in the wrong way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because you, you know, and it's interesting because I've, I've seen this talking to people who are trying to implement things at their work and they're like, oh, I really want to bring this in. I really want to do this. I want to rip out all this technical debt. Let's just stop the presses for six months. Well, it's not even it's that, that kind much. of thing, right? This is the network. Yeah, this is the, the network version equivalent. of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, you... You have to work with where you are. Right. Um, where I'm at, the the big thing that where I've seen it is with, you know, we moved to this agile. Like I came on as the process was taking place, and I had to get over the pure scrum zealot that I was when I first started, and realize, hey, it's a transition, and we're making that transition, and so. Right now, we're not going to be able to be pure Scrum because we have things that we have to do. But as we transition over, this is, you know, putting it in other terms, that's what this is. It's, all right, we start where we are and, you know, completely changing everything all of a sudden causes lots of problems. Yeah, that even you if don't you're right. To see. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're right. So now that we've talked about how network access control allows users and devices in and checks the policies, sometimes things happen where a user is blocked that should be allowed in. And so we're going to talk about some of the remediation strategies and ways to deal with that. You know, when using network access control, it's expected that some valid users will be denied access for various reasons. Right. Because at that point, they're not really a valid user. They're a valid user as understood by people, not a valid user as understood by machines. Right. The NAC needs to have a way for the in-station user to address the issues that cause the denial. Right. So you print out a huge form and you say, okay, you hadn't filled out your TPS report for last week, right? (laughs) Or if you're not corporate, you actually do something sensible. So there's a couple of common strategies for mediation if you don't want to make them fill out a report. Uh, The first thing is quarantine networks. So you give the user routed access to certain hosts and applications. And this is kind of similar to the way that like a uh, hotel and restaurant Wi-Fi works. Like you're able to connect, but the only website you can get to is the thing that you fill in to remediate that yeah. access control issue. That's like, okay, yeah, I'm at Panera. Mm-hmm. I promise I'm eating some bread right now. <laughs> right. And you type that in. I'm eating some bread right now. And you hit okay. And now you can get to Google. You know, this is usually implemented through a virtual local area network, VLAN, we've talked about. 
And address management is another way to quarantine that doesn't require using VLANs um, for quarantine in stations. The address resolution protocol is used to discover the lowest layer address, such as the MAC or media access control address. Right. Um, and so I actually use this on my network here at the house. Um, my wife and my daughter can't get to some of the equipment down here from their machines at all. And and the reason for that is, is they don't have anything on there. Yeah. And 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 so I set that up and I, I have their, I actually have a, um, a loud list of MAC addresses that can get to things like the NAS. Mm-hmm. Because again, if you get a virus, you know, you get a kid going around, you know, playing on Minecraft and looking yeah. at, you know, like Minecraft pictures and stuff. It's like, okay, if I have to blow away that machine and rebuild it, that's one thing. If I have to blow away the NAS and rebuild it, that is not something I want to experience. So I, you know, I have that locked down. Right. Um, and, and that's kind of what they're doing at a corporate level. They're just scaling that up. Mm-hmm. Another way is a neighbor discovery protocol for getting to the lowest layer address. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen that in production. Yeah, I couldn't find any examples when I was when I was looking into this. And so I was hoping you would have them because I was like, I, I write about it. And I'm like, I'm going to put it in here because I don't know well, this. And I want to find out more about it. So I think I think here's what happens. There's there's kind of a veil of ignorance sort of problem or not a veil of ignorance, but like they're over the horizon, right? Like if if they're at the point where they're actually talking to a developer and we know who each you know the other one is, um, they're doing Mac and they're doing VLANs. Mm hmm. If they're at the point where they're doing this and they're, because I think that's more advanced, they're probably somebody that doesn't talk to the, to this group of neckbeards. Like there's more than one group of neckbeards at that point. Yes. There's, there's the six inch long neckbeards, the eight inch long neckbeards, and then the Gandalfs. Right. And the Gandalfs are the ones that are doing this. <laughs> and they got their fax machines and you don't ever see them because they're in the server room and they don't ever come out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're real pasty. <laughs> and and that's sorry. it. Have, right? have you seen the IT crowd that British show? Yeah, bits and pieces of it. <laughs> it's it's it reminds me of the um that one guy that that's that turned gaw. Yeah. <laughs> he just stayed in the server. <laughs> yeah. Um so, you know, I, I think this is something that happens at really large organizations, which is something I've mostly tried to avoid. Yeah. Um for and I've done a pretty good job of it. So yeah, I, I hadn't seen that in production. Maybe somebody else has. So the next uh, one is the one okay. we talked about uh, with the uh, hotel Wi-Fi and the Panera Wi-Fi and those kind of things. That's captive portals. So you're intercepting access to websites by way of HTTP. The HTTP packet goes out to the server, right? But this thing intercepts and goes, no, 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 no. Here's the web page. I'm going to sit in the middle and go, you can't do this until you go through me. Yeah, instead of a man-in-the-middle attack, it's a man-in-the-middle protection it's still an attack <laughs> it's it's an attack by um it, it's like a friendly fight or it's like friendly fire <laughs> yeah there you go because um, it is real annoying when you got like 15 browser tabs open and you open up chrome every one of them goes to the hotel wi-fi thing and you're like yeah, oh I, you it, know i just don't get why you do that because i don't maintain browser tabs if i want if i want to keep something i have a temporary folder where i just like save to it and then yeah, I, I tend to do that because it's like, okay, this is what I'm reading next. And that's how I save stuff off. It's a really dumb workflow. <laughs> and I really should stop doing it. But like, that's like, okay, I've been trying to break that habit for like 10 years. It's not going to go away. Well, the, the thing is, when you started doing that, that was the that was best how you way it. to do it. Yeah. yeah. 
So yeah, like that, totally. Um, I, I get that. I still find it funny because there's better yeah. ways to do it now. <laughs> there, there's so much better ways. But um, but what I end up doing is I open up Chrome and I've got like you know ten tabs open and now they're all on the stupid hotel wireless. You know, authenticate who you are, give you me your room number. You know how to get around that, don't you? Yeah, you open Opera for the one time a year that you open Opera. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Because <laughs> like that's totally what it is. Actually, I say open Edge, but yeah, <laughs> I don't open Edge. <laughs> Come on, man. I don't want to get beat up. I just, I just want people to point and laugh. So, uh, you know, so I'll open up Opera because I'm at MicroConf, right? And uh-huh. I'm in the hotel in Vegas. And so, like, that's where I open Opera is to get on the hotel Wi-Fi in Vegas. <laughs> okay. That's where I do that. That's the only place I use Opera. <laughs> and then I, I, you know, open up Edge when I want to go, oh, yeah, here's, you know, here's you, how Microsoft renders this. <laughs> you, you know, you... You said Opera, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember Opera. I haven't used it in so long. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's actually a fairly decent browser. It is, it's just, but <laughs> You know, I've got all my stuff in Chrome, so I don't use it. But, yeah. like, that's what this kind of thing is. It's a captive portal. So until the end station updates, they're only allowed to go to the captive portal. So it looks at your MAC address and goes, okay, I know who this is. I'll let the packet through. It, it basically takes your browser captive. Yeah. And you're stuck. There until you authenticate and go through it. And it's a reasonable quarantine method, especially for like big corporate environments. And I understand why they do it at, you know, McDonald's and Panera and the hotel because they don't want everybody getting in, right? They have some checklist of things to make sure you are who you say you are. Because again, you get on the internet there, they want to know that that's true so that, you know, you don't do anything illegal on their network, unauthenticated where it looks like they did it. Mm-hmm. Totally fine. And, you know, they have... But they do make me use Opera. You can't do this in links, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, they 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 have hundreds of people coming through there all the time. Or casino. They have thousands. Yeah. And, you know, it's it makes sense. And if you want to see people that are paranoid about security, the uh, the floor with all the machines in a casino, holy cow. You'll see a whole bunch of people walking around that you're like, that guy's a security guard. He doesn't look like it. He looks drunk. But he's a security guard. I know it. <laughs> now, you get to the second floor and above, they're not paying attention at all. So, now that we've talked about what a knack is and how it works and how it validates users and checks the in-station for policy, you know, it checks policies on the in-station, the whole mobile environment has changed the way this works. And it changes the way that you have to address a network access control. Right, because you don't have as much processing power. People bring stuff in and out. And it's it's one thing if it's a laptop, right? Somebody buys a laptop. That's a commitment. Right. Somebody has a mobile phone. You know, it kind of is, but it's not at the same level. Someone has an iPhone 10. That's it's a, a commitment. commitment. Someone has... My cell phone? Yeah. Okay, that's a commitment too because I'm too lazy to go to Verizon <laughs> and update it even though I get... Like, they ping me like twice a month to tell me, yo, yo, dog, you know, you can get a phone that doesn't have the Flintstones barefoot running their car underneath it. <laughs> um, but I still I don't want to go to Verizon, so I don't do that. But for most people, they switch phones out a lot yeah. more often than they switch out their laptop. Mm-hmm. And they also have less processing power. They have less space, so you can't do like intrusive stuff that's constantly running. Mm-hmm. People get cranky about that on their phone. Yes, though someone who is malicious could have a device for that. Right, and 
I mean, which that's, is why you need to have the network access control for mobile devices. Right. And that's, that's kind of like, uh, you know, we went to Vegas a few years back and they had, I forget which hacking conference it was. But I mean, there, you know, it was one of those like, yeah, we, you know, we'll break into any device and I'm sitting here going, okay, my laptop will be in airplane mode the entire time. My phone will be off. I will not plug in any USB device, network cable, anything. Like if I need to communicate with somebody, it's the postal service, <laughs> you know, but like, that's that a real explains thing. That letter I got from you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're just, you're just looking around and you're going, you know what? I'm going to pretend to be Amish this week. Because the one and only time I ever got a birthday card from Will <laughs> in the mail. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. It was, that was, that was a couple months after your birthday, which is kind of like about when I would send one. Yeah. Um, but, but again, you know, you have those kind of scenarios, yeah. right? Somebody can make a device that looks innocuous, but it's actually a breach. Yeah. Like the whole thing is mobile devices and a workforce that connects via different wireless networks, it creates new concerns for your network administrators. Right. Because it's not just that like, okay, like you bring a, a, a phone in, right? Right. Or you bring, a, you know, you bring a laptop in, I go, okay, I know that this laptop, it might connect to some, you know, Bluetooth headset, some crap like that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's an extra network there. But you bring a phone in, well, heck, I might bring the phone in, but I'm connected to you, you know? I'm, I'm you know, sending stuff you know, by, uh, by way of Bluetooth or I'm sending it by, um, infrared or I'm sending it by whatever. So you have to think about, uh, data exfiltration concerns yeah. and you don't have a good way of detecting that. Now, this can be workers that travel, sales associates that use tablets for making sales. Uh, a lot of your retail stores right. are going to this. Um, and then even when you have like the small shops. Yeah. If they, they go to a conference. Like, oh, yeah. if I was going to break into some major corporation's network, I would totally go to a conference where their salespeople are and, like, drop a USB drive near where the salespeople are and let them pick that up, put a payload on that, and it goes back into their network when they go home. Yeah. The, the issue here is that if you deny access to the network for that device, it can make it useless, and it completely stops that salesperson's ability to do the one thing that they're doing, making sales. Right. And you don't want to get in the way of that because then you have a senior VP screaming at you. Well, yeah, because then... And eventually then, you have a board screaming at you. The the thing about this is what pays the bills. And we, it goes back to our, our episodes on sales and understanding sales. What pays the bills? Well, their sales pay the bills. That's like episode seven or something, man. That I know. It's like way old. back there. I know. I know. We but ought to that's re how re revisit that stuff. We should. And we should get someone on that... Really no sales. Yeah, especially like development sales. No. Remediation strategies here too can take longer over wireless or mobile networks. So you're not even on Wi-Fi. You're on, you know, 3G because you're out in the boonies making sales to, you know, agricultural. Right. And I have a friend that's doing that. Yeah. And doing IoT stuff. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that happens is you also have the occasional connectivity thing like people don't walk around with their laptops nearly as much as you think no not anymore i mean we used to carry our laptops everywhere but i mean like they don't walk around with them on so you don't have the occasional connectivity thing because think about this like if you're opening a stream between two devices what happens when that stream closes because they got out of range and they get back in range like that that changes things at the protocol level too mm -hmm. as far as determining okay they are who they say they are they're not somebody sniffed this stream out 
you know, the person left and they saw him leaving and they did a man in the middle. Yeah. Like it, it really changes things at a low level. So you, you have to be, you know, pretty concerned about that. Mobile network access controls are similar to wired, except that the scanning software is run continuously. Right. And this occurs whether it resides on the device or on the server. It also runs whether or not the device is attempting to connect to the network or not. And the reason is because the device probably has some sensitive stuff on there. Mm-hmm. And if that device gets compromised and it gets inside the network perimeter, yes, you may be securing things, but you don't want to actually trust that. You know, yeah. it, it's the one enemy inside the wall thing. Yeah. I mean, if, if while it's outside, because it goes, the whole thing with mobile is it goes in and out of the network. Right. While it's outside of the network, it gets something on it and you bring it in, then you've just given whatever access to your network. Right. Um, hopefully you're doing things right and you have that cordoned off. And so if it does get in, it only has access to certain areas. Yeah. But I mean, you don't ever count on that, right? No, no, you, you don't. You want all the protection, but I'm saying hopefully you're, you're doing that. A mobile specific NAC allows the network admin to control the level of remediation for the mobile devices. So networks may send warnings for lesser concerns such as out-of-date software, right? Um, where you're still allowed to to do business up to a degree, but you're told, hey, you need to update by this time, or hey... Well, that's so you don't have to have a hard switch, right? Like, so you don't go, okay, we're cutting people off at this point. We're yeah. going to start warning them. It's a soft... Right, and the, the, the whole point is to not deny access, to not say, oh, hey, you're out in the field... When this new update comes out, so now you can't do your job because you're going to have to drive two hours into the office. Yeah, like if you're in the interior of Alaska. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Download that over satellite? Mm -hmm. And how much a packet? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of concerns like that that come in. The, The other side of this is a compromised device may be quarantined until remediation can take place. Right. And automated remediation can be set up to occur only under certain conditions. So this could be stuff like when a Wi-Fi or LAN connection is on or it's a certain time of day. Because it may be that, hey, you know, if, if a salesperson's coming in and out of the office and their device might be slightly out of date, that's not worrying at noon. It's worrying at midnight because that's another, you know, it, it escalates the threat level because nobody's watching. So you may you may do some things like that. The balance here is between keeping workers productive and the need for security. And that's always going to be the balance, and it will always be a balance. It's not always going to be on one side or the other. Yeah, because you're you're going to you're going to have the people that are pushing security, but you're also going to have the sales side that's like, hey, we we got to get our job done. Yeah. And so the network admins have to look at this and go, all right, well, we have these security concerns. What what can we weigh here? That's like, all right, this is less of a concern. So we can give give a little here so that they can get more work done. And it's a balancing act there for that, where it like the whole mobile thing is, you know, getting work done versus keeping it super secure. And you may be in a place where you've got really sensitive data. So like at a hospital that has HIPAA compliance. Right. You're going to have a lot heavier security. Right. But you can't stop people from working because people die. Right. And the thing <laughs> yeah. is, a mobile device isn't going to stop people from working at a hospital. 
Hopefully not. Yeah. Uh, you know, as you know, and unless you screwed up, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're going to WebMD, you're going, Hey, is it lupus? Let me get this episode of house. What did house say? If you're there, you're probably already dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, but other, other than that, yeah, you're probably all right. Um, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I, I liken it to uh, medieval armor. Yeah. Right. The armor has to be strong enough to protect the knight, but he still has to move because if he's, not he's just kind of a metal statue. That's a that's a really great great way of putting it. I like that. Yeah. So guys, network access control is used to control access to a network via policies and protocols. And these include policies whether it's before or after accessing the network as well as, you know, policies about how the information about the device is accessed and obtained. This has been just sort of a high-level overview to help you understand how users may be accessing uh, the code that you write and how your network admins are working to protect the network that you're writing for. That pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, um, I found some training that I found pretty helpful. Um, I'm I'm trying to reapproach Linux and I realize I kind of have a bit of a bias from starting with Mandrake Back in 2001, 2002, I think, maybe. It was before you moved into the apartment. The first one. Oh, so that would be 2000. That was the first time I played with Linux, yeah. right? And so I've been kind of learning you know, bits and pieces. And I started thinking, I'm like, you know, maybe part of my problem is, is that I'm still, I'm holding on to stuff that isn't quite correct. And I need to readdress that. And so I found some tutorials at the Linux Foundation. That actually go through this and there's, and we'll have a link in the show notes, but it's basically an introduction to Linux, how the file system works, how the networking works, how you troubleshoot, you know, all the basics, you know, reimagined for the modern era, not, you know, I screw around on the command line a hundred percent of the time. Um, so I'm, I'm going to include those in the show notes for you guys in, in case you're kind of in the same boat. And I think that may be helpful for a lot of people that are trying to figure out this whole Linux thing and this whole open source thing. Cause I do think that that is a very important part of the future. So that's all I've got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.